This is episode number six with Johnny Pollard. Welcome to the Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl, and I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with thought leaders from around the globe to uncover the habits, habits, mindsets, tools, and rituals that they have used to become world-class so that you can create epic change in your own life and become the best version of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? Johnny is the co-founder and executive director of One Giant Mind. He is an internationally recognized meditation teacher who has dedicated his life to sharing the knowledge gained from some of the great living masters of our time. He specializes in teaching the art of realizing the mind's potential, so to live the most innovative and fulfilling life possible. After studying and teaching for over 20 years, Johnny now travels the world as a personal consultant, mentor, and teacher to everyday people, medical professionals, scientists, high net worthy individuals, families, CEOs, executives, cultural leaders, political figures, professional sports people, and celebrities. He has even been invited to present and collaborate with figures such as His Holiness the Dalai Lama, Sir Richard Branson, and Deepak Chopra. Pretty awesome. Hey. So I first met Johnny through my husband. He introduced us a few years ago and it was love at first sight. He is such a beautiful man, as you will hear in this interview. He's incredibly authentic and inspiring and someone I'm so deeply grateful to have on call and in my life, you know, whenever I need. So I'm really excited for you guys to hear this amazing interview. In this heart opening and soul expanding interview, we chat about love and wisdom as our deepest truth, the 12 steps of love, nine ways to freedom, how to return back to your true nature, which is love and wisdom, why vulnerability is the gateway to our liberation, why courage is the greatest asset, how to move through adversity, the importance of surrounding yourself with beautiful people, why we need to feel it to heal it, why meditation is the vehicle back to love, the best detox tips plus so much more and this is the first ever interview that I have ever cried in so you'll have to listen to find out what brought me to tears and as always everything that we mention in the interview you can get in the show notes all you have to do is head to www.melissaambrosini.com forward slash six so without further ado let's dive straight in because you guys are going to love this interview so much with the one and only johnny pollard Welcome, Johnny. I'm so grateful to have you here. But before we dive in, I always like to know, what did you have for breakfast this morning? Um, I had a really delicious uh, homemade muesli uh, that I get from the local organic store up here in in the, uh, the little town of Rishikesh that I'm staying in writing my book at the moment. It's a, little, a guy that his mum makes this kind of granola style muesli. It's delicious. Sounds good. Correct. So tell us, you're in Rishikesh. Tell us about 
how you got to be there and tell us a little bit about your backstory and One Giant Mind, how you created that and your app and, you know, how you got to where you are. Give us a little bit of a backstory. (laughs) Okay. You want me to do all of that in um, three minutes, right? Ready and go. (laughs) Okay. um, So... I, I'm a teacher of uh, Vedic meditation and uh, of the ancient Vedic wisdom. Um, I am here in Rishikesh, India, writing uh, my first book. And uh, I've been here for about three and a half months, yeah, deeply immersed in the, in the intense and grueling process of writing a book, which you, I'm sure you know all about. Um, and... Uh, I, I'm in India because this is where I found my roots. I, 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 I grew my roots uh, in my own personal practice in my early uh, 20s, late teens, early 20s. I, um, I started coming to India in the hope of finding uh, a perspective and a teacher that might enable me to sort of recognize my or, or reconcile my, uh, my deep need to to belong um, with my sort of disdain with the world. Uh, you know, I grew up kind of a bit disgruntled and highly agitated, let's say, um, as a teenager, uh, finding it very difficult to, to, you know, comply or, or be enthusiastic about participating in the, in the world and the system. It just didn't gel with me at all. And um, I was at odds. And by the time I was kind of my late late teens, early twenties, it started to become a real issue. Um, and so I, I set out on a, an adventure to, to discover a deeper, more whole perspective that might enable me to, to be cool with being in the world. And, you know, I got a lot more than what I bargained for. It was, you know, it was the start of a very beautiful, deep romance with a, with a country and a culture that has such a, a profound depth and richness to offer us in terms of a way to live, to really see the, the beauty in, in the human condition and where we're at right now and the, the journey that we're on, discovering what's important in order to flourish as human beings. Wow. And how did... I don't know whether that kind of... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I you. mean, you know, I'm sure a lot of people felt like that in their teens and, and early 20s. Um but most, you know, I suppressed it, you know, I just went out and partied and that's how I coped. But you went to India. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the only thing that really makes, makes my story a little bit different um, is that, you know, everybody, everybody feels like a round thing that's trying to be fit into a square hole. And particularly growing up as teenagers, because we, we start to kind of learn our own processes of, of free thinking and and actualizing our liberty to to move in a direction that we desire and um what we're confronted with are these f- enormous forces that are pulling us this way and that um in directions that you know have nothing to do with what we desire and yet society and culture can have such a such a, an influence on us um and really dictate um to us um the direction in which we we lead our lives and it's largely from my perspective you know at least looking back in retrospect it's largely because you know 
as we're growing up, we're not encouraged to really know ourselves. We're, we're encouraged more to, to conform and fit into a system and, and participate in the, the engine of culture and society that, you know, serves the, the mentality of the time. And I think um, for me, I just, I just couldn't swallow it. I just, I wasn't, I wasn't down with it. And, um, as a result, I, you know, as a, out of an act of desperation, actually, I came to India. Um, I just, you know, needed to, to, to believe that there was something more than what was happening in my life, you know, and I was having a great life. Don't get me wrong. It wasn't like I was having a terrible, you know, from the outside, it was, it was a very ideal situation. You know, by the time I was, you know, 18, I was, or 19, I was, you know, lead in a, you know, an international hit television series. I was a pro athlete touring the world. I was being paid to be an artist and, you know, I had lots of really wonderful things going on. Um, but you know, as I stated, stated in my first chapter, right, there was this like gaping hole in me. Wow. This, like something massive was missing Mm. in my life. And, um, you know, upon reflection of what I was like as a child, life was very simple. You know, I, I was just, totally frothing on life, just loving life. And, you know, it was so easy to entertain myself and, and have a good time. I knew, I knew exactly what I'd like to do and I knew how to do it. And I just went and did it and completely dived into it. I was a very happy, um, complicated kid when I was able to do what I was able to do. And so, um, you know, the, the, the reality is that as you get older, you can't just play with your toy trucks and launch your, your, your bicycle off the veranda and, you know, play in the mud and stuff like that. You've got to go and learn one plus one equals two and, uh, you know, all, all of the things that, you know, life demands that you, that you participate in or society demands that you participate in in order to, to, to function as a, as, a, as a person in the world. And most of what was asked of me <laughs> just seemed absolutely nonsensical to me. School was absolutely nonsensical to me. It was like a, it was a real pain in the ass. You know, I felt every single day of those 12 years and, um, I, you know, and I tried, you know, I tried to fit in. I, 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 you know, I inquired sincerely, you know, why are we doing this? (laughs) What's this all mean? Like, why do I have to learn this? Um, you know, I understand the principle of formal education, but it, it's not that so much. It was the, it was the content that just, oh, mm-hmm. it, was, it was hell. <laughs> so anyway, by the time I got to my late teens, I was, you know, I was kind of, I, I was at odds with the world and was, you know, easily agitated and angered by the hypocrisy of things and just didn't understand the, the rationale around, you know, our our, our celebration of the economy and politics and things like this that were clearly providing no answers for human fulfillment. And it was just a, you know, this device to keep us locked into this cycle of mediocrity. It's <laughs> the best way to put it. And so I, 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 um, I launched myself out of the game for a time and came here and, um, Although, you know, the first few trips weren't, you know, terribly enlightening through my, through my ongoing, you know, uh, traveling to, to India and, and seeking out knowledge and sitting with great teachers, um, I started to formulate a, a really wonderful 
um, perspective on what's really going on here and the best way to, to, to bring myself to the world in a way that makes it meaningful, that makes everything that's going on in the world okay, and that I have some power to um, make a contribution that may elevate it out of its current state of dysfunction. You seem to have really mastered the art of the integration, and I'm sure you have your moments, but being a spiritual being in this material world is something I'm constantly working on. Can you help our listeners with this as it comes up a lot? And I believe we're here to enjoy this world and in all its technicolor. So how can we integrate this spiritual and material world harmoniously? Well, I think firstly, you know, we have to really declare that that's what we are. You know, we're spiritual beings having a human experience. And, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a bit of a cliche. It's an, it's an oldie, but as far as I'm concerned, it's, it's one of the goldest statements. You know, what we are essentially are spiritual beings. And what I mean by spiritual, let's be very clear about what that means, is that we are beings that have the ability to be aware of an essence. And our essence is love. And when we are spiritual, we are embodied in a state of love. We are experiencing love. And to be clear about what love is, love's not just like, you know, soft, cuddly, kissy, you know, huggy um, sweetness. It's very much that. But in terms of like what love is, it's important to really understand what love does. And I define love very simply um, in terms of uh, an expressive state, and that's wisdom. What love is is wisdom uh, for us humans. And when we are embodied in a state of wisdom, uh, we are expressive of wisdom, we are expressive of love. And um, I define wisdom in, in 12 12 sections, or I call them the 12 ways of wisdom. And I'll rattle them off real quick, just so you can get a sort of an idea of my perspective on how we integrate our essence, our spirituality, um, or love, all the same, same, same thing, different words. So the 12 ways of wisdom are awareness. Without awareness, we, without awareness of what we are, who we are, um, it's very, very difficult to, to meaningfully interact with the world because you can only interact with the world based on what you know about yourself. You, know, you can only make meaning of what you're receiving from the world based on the meaning that you find within yourself. And so when we have self-awareness, we have an awareness of who we are, our true self, then we're able to see that in another, receive that from another, and validate that as a reality. And so that's primary. The, the awareness from awareness, the other twelve ways emerge, and that's insight, devotion. And when I say devotion, I mean devotion to love, devotion to the beauty of life. We can't expect um, to sustain our our um, connection to our awareness without practicing um, uh, the the deep reverence for life. And, you know, we're, we're all being conditioned into forgetfulness, you know, as a result of fear, which I'll talk about in a little bit. But, you know, the way, the way, the, the most powerful way to um, break the habit of forgetfulness about 
our, our essence is to be devoted to it. So devotion is a huge part of wisdom. And we can talk about how we can be devoted later on down the track if you like. The next is discernment, the ability to, to determine where boundaries need to be set. Because love isn't just, you know, you know, doors open for anyone anytime. It's, you know, we, we, we need to be discerning to determine, you know, in the way that we love, where boundaries need to be set. The next is grace. And grace is the ability to, to have no rigid attachment to outcome in the present moment, to have no specific agenda, just to be open and to allow life to happen. Compassion, which is the ability to, to, to sense and care for uh, both yourself and another and the willingness to do something about it. Um, creativity, which is the way that we step into the unknown. Creativity is the way that we grow, the way we evolve. and um, what we notice is when we have the, the, the habit or the tendency, the willingness to step into the unknown, what naturally arises out of that is this remarkable process of creativity, this playful expression of innovating something new. And we, we feel so fulfilled when we're, when we're having that experience. And this is, a way, this is a way of wisdom. Wisdom is creative. Benevolence is the next, which is... Um, be, you know, a sense of belonging to the world and a sense of responsibility to serve it, to put it first. Wisdom is always seeking how to serve the greater whole. Enthusiasm is the next one. Wisdom is enthusiastic, which is just like a, a high energy, um, uh, an excitement and a willingness to step into the unknown a willingness to be benevolent, a willingness to, to just be present here now and, and with all of our qualities, um, just let it rip. So w- wisdom is very enthusiastic. <laughs> Generosity, um, you know, and generous of heart, generous of attention. You know, the greatest gift that we can ever give anybody is our full, open, loving attention and the willingness to just listen. And um, so that's, that's another thing that wisdom does. Friendliness which is just a, 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 you know, a, a very natural predisposition of, of us human beings in our loving state, you know, where we're, we're just open to everyone and everything. We give everybody a chance to, to interact and engage rather than being defensive and, and then letting somebody prove their worthiness of your affection, sort of just being open and friendly because friendliness begets friendliness. It creates friendliness. Uh, it inspires that that reciprocity. Uh, the next is humor, because <laughs> you know it's all pretty funny. <laughs> What's going on here? You know, at the end of the day, you know it's it's so important not to take ourselves too seriously. This whole thing called life and the pursuit for you know freedom. You know, although the experience of being a human can be very very tough. Let's face it, it's, <laughs> being a human being is not the easiest thing in the universe. It's, uh, it's, it's a real challenging thing, and we can very easily lose our sense of humor. But uh, the reality is that our nature is that we have the ability to laugh, not at ourselves, but with ourselves, with each other, and, and, and make light of what can otherwise feel very, very heavy. And so that's, that's how I define wisdom. And so I, I, those, those 12 ways are the, the way in which love is expressive. And 
what, what wisdom does when it is fully alivened in our hearts is it fulfills us. When we are expressive of wisdom, when we're expressive of all of those, those qualities, those 12 ways in the present moment, um, we, we experience fulfillment in the present moment. And that's, from my perspective, all fulfillment is, is the, the, the ability to be established in our hearts and free to, to engage with life with those 12 qualities. And I, I define fulfillment um, in, in nine states, but I, I don't know if I'm starting to really dive into a, no, <laughs> a teaching. I don't know whether amazing. that's whether you're interested in it. Yeah, absolutely. Go. Those, those 12 steps were just so beautiful. Like, please keep sharing. Okay. So um, we define fulfillment in nine states and the nine states um, are being. The first one, the first state of being is a uh, fulfillment is a state of being. It's our most innocent state. It is us without any pretense, any, any agenda, any preconception of the moment. It's just that the innocence of being. And um, the next is a state of f- freedom. Freedom is uh, being. Uh, unbounded, not bound by an ideology, a belief system, some circumstance where you're imprisoned or you're oppressed in some way. You are free. This is one of the states of fulfillment. Liberty is the ability to determine, make decisions and choices as you see fit that are relative to what it is you desire to experience in your life. Meaning. Um, is another state. Uh, we need meaning in our life in order to be fulfilled. And meaning means value. What, how do we value things? What is the value of a thing? And it's important that we know what we value and that we hold dear to that, to that value and we cultivate that. Um, purpose, which is uh, the, way in which we, the way in which we bring ourselves. Not so much what we do, but the way in which we bring ourselves to the world. And, um, you know, all of that is encoded within wisdom. So, you know, wisdom fulfills purpose. Um, Wisdom fulfills all of these, by the way. Wisdom fulfills being. Wisdom fulfills freedom. Wisdom fulfills liberty, meaning, purpose. The next is significance, which is the, the, the impact that we have in the world. What, 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 what significance is our individuality? What's, what's the contri- contribution that we're making that's elevating the world when we are of some significance, at least to one other person other than ourselves, we uh, will experience a degree of fulfillment. The more significant our life is, the more fulfilled we are. Um, the next is connection, which is how we grow. In order, to, in order to grow as human beings, we, we need to interact with each other and connect. And the way in which we connect is, is critical. And, you know, wisdom and all those 12 ways that I described is what funds a, a very fulfilling connection with any individual. And the next is belonging. And we, the fact is we belong to each other. We belong to the universe. We belong to the earth. We are interdependent. Whether we like it or not, we're connected 
in, in a way that is so foundational to our existence. And if we ignore that, that, that belonging, then we feel a, a gross sense of disconnection and, and um, uneasiness in ourselves. When we embrace our belonging, when we actually accept that we belong to each other, humanity belongs to each other and humanity belongs to the earth. And we, we live with that sense of, you know, joy and responsibility. Then there's a profound fulfillment that comes, you know, one of the big gaping holes in most people's hearts is this, this longing to belong and, and yet not feeling like they can because there's so much about it that they just don't want to belong to. And we need to, we need to see beyond our conditioning and, and really um, connect with the essence, which comes back to the original question, the, our spirituality, our spiritual essence. When we can connect to our spiritual essence, this can't, this can't be tainted. It can't be, it can't be um, sullied or muddied. It's pure. It's our humanity the, the surface level of our humanity that appears to be the kind of uh, the toxic impurity of our, of our human state that we feel repulsed by and ashamed by and guilty about and powerless to change on the surface level of our humanity. And when we, when we embrace um, belonging you know, we're, we're embracing our humanity and we're, we're embracing our spirituality and we begin to then reconcile them. And that's what wisdom does, is it reconciles our, our, our humanity with our spirituality, which is what you were talking about. Um, and the final state of fulfillment is happiness, you know, which is just an innocent state of joy that is our baseline state. When we remove fear and we remove the, the rigid attachment, the desperation for, for things to happen in a particular way, and we just let go of all of that, what we find ourselves to be is happy, you know, innocently happy. It's what we are. And so they're, they're the, the nine states of fulfillment that are funded by wisdom. You know, wisdom, those 12 ways fund each of those nine states. And, um, so basically, <laughs> I just gave you a rundown of what my book is. What's it called? The book's called The Golden Sequence. After, after I break down, you know, the, the 12 ways of wisdom and the nine states of fulfillment, then I introduce a technique um, that is called The Golden Sequence that enables us to, um, having recognized a pattern of defensiveness, move from defensiveness back into love. The biggest killer of love is defensiveness, and defensiveness is born of fear, and fear is born of ignorance of our power or our essence, uh, the, the ignorance of, of love is our nature. And what the golden sequence does is it, 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 it's a step-by-step process that brings us back to the gold, which is love, brings us back into our hearts and empowers us with the ability to awaken wisdom. So wisdom is something that's not learnt. It's, it's spontaneously expressive uh, that when, when, we, when we access our heart, our loving heart, wisdom is just spontaneous and, and therefore fulfillment is spontaneous. It's not something that we have to work towards and learn. And, you know, it's certainly something we need to cultivate in so much as breaking the old habits of fear and defensiveness and ignorance. Um, 
however, once we once once we get into a habit, a routine of of practicing a process of moving back into our hearts, it all sort of you know it's like riding a bicycle. Mm. You get your groove on pretty quick. And so the book is a very simple book. At least I'm hoping it'll be <laughs> that that'll 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 teach people this, well at least the beginnings of how to how to actualize this process. It sounds beautiful. I can't wait to read it. Um, I was going to ask you what you know. Fear is obviously one of the biggest things that is stopping a lot of us from experiencing, you know, our our true essence. But you know, when you're in the midst of an argument or you're really heated or something, it's quite, it can feel quite challenging to remember these 12 states and this, and these nine steps. And how do we get ourselves back to that place with, with ease and grace so that we're not causing ourselves so much suffering and others around us so much suffering? Yeah, great question you asked, Melissa. <laughs> um, I mean, to 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 do that uh, that question justice, um, I would say read my book when it comes out. Um, however, the top line is, um, which is the is how I responded to your first question, is to declare that what we are is love. To you know, first and foremost, just start by. By making it a habit of saying what I am is love. Anything that is opposed to that is not is not really me. It's a it's a condition, <clears throat> and the reality is that we've been conditioned, you know, by the world, by society, culture, our parents, our teachers, um, our peers, and what we've what we've adopted is um, beliefs and ideologies that um, have been passed on to us. And a lot of the time that we find ourselves reacting to the world or to a to someone a partner or whatever and we we lose a sense of our loving nature and we we the fangs and the claws come out and we we go into a hyper defensive state it's as a result of something that's been learnt. And so the way that we the way that we deal with that is well first first and foremost getting understanding what what's actually happening here and in a state of defensiveness all that's happening is that on some level you are feeling threatened by by what it is that you're interacting with and what's important is to in that moment ascertain whether that threat is imminent danger or just imagined danger Am I really am I really in danger here? Because if I am, then this fight or flight response, the fear center of my brain that's been activated is serving me well, and I should lop the head off this thing that I'm interacting with or run for my life. <laughs> or if if the, the danger isn't imminent, then to take full responsibility for the the reaction that you've had in the moment. The moment that you recognize that you are in a state of defensiveness where the danger is not imminent, the only thing to do is to let go of defending, which means letting go of the need in that moment to be right, to be heard, 
to be understood by the other because that's not going to it's not going to serve you in any way keeping keeping that line of line of action going what you need to do is completely surrender and fall back into an awareness that you are whole and complete and you have in your heart a spontaneous capacity to be expressive of of wisdom and so you know what i'm teaching through this process is a very holistic system that empowers you with all the awareness all the tools and the direct experience of what those tools are and how how to actually use them um and so to 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 answer your question fully uh, you know is is difficult because you know we don't have enough time in one in one podcast but i would say that learning how to surrender defensiveness move back into the heart be willing to listen to the other and and go okay i've had a defensive reaction and my my instinct here is to defend myself and to shut you down and to get you to uh, acknowledge my perspective before i feel okay about everything and to actually comply with my perspective before I, before, I, before I feel okay about everything. That's a habit that we've learned that's completely unnecessary and it's an absolute retardant to the, the flow of love, the growth of relationship, the experience of connection. And so um, if we are able to, to re, re, reconceptualize, create new meaning around who we are and what it is we're doing here, who we are is love. What we're doing here is to grow, evolve, and be fulfilled and to be sharing in that fulfillment. And part of our fulfillment is ensuring that everybody around us is having an experience of fulfillment supported by us and not at the expense of us, which is a really big thing um, because a lot of people are getting their fulfillment at the expense of others. And it's not true fulfillment anyway but they're attempting to get their, their fulfillment at the expense of others. When we recognize, particularly in relationships, when we're, we have a tendency to argue about things and whatever, we don't want to just feel safe in a relationship. We don't want to just feel like, okay, I'm not going to be threatened here. What we want to do is experience love and connection. And uh, quite often the need to be right will, will completely compromise our ability to, to connect. And um, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a process of establishing a new habit to do that. And that's, that's what the golden sequence is all about. Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, absolutely. And it really takes vulnerability to really take down the armor and strip off all the, the conditioning that we've had. And that takes courage and it takes being really vulnerable. And being vulnerable is something that a lot of us kind of hide away because we're so, we're so scared or we're so fearful. So how do we step into that vulnerability? You just do it. The, you know, <laughs> that's the simplest way. You, you, there's, 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 no, there's no two ways about it. You know, it's like stepping into a hot bath. You know, you put your first toe in and it's like, oh, it's really hot. And then eventually your foot, your foot gets used to it and then you slip the next foot in. You're like, oh, it's hot. And then the, the idea of actually having to put your bare bum into that hot water is almost unthinkable. It's like, I'm just going to stay here. I'm just going to stay here. I'm just going to stay here. <laughs> and then slowly, slowly you lower your bum into it. And you're like, ow, ow, ow. <laughs> And then what was really, really hot and burning and painful actually becomes an immense 
relief. It causes great pleasure and relaxation and, 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 and so it's, it's like that, you know, we, we, we just move in the direction of it and we, we allow ourselves just incrementally to get used to and comfortable with opening up and, you know, move at your own pace, but go for it. Uh, vulnerability is the gateway to our liberation. It's a, it's a, it's a very um, trendy word at the moment. And there's a lot of emphasis put on vulnerability as the place that we have to kind of stay in. And the, rea- the truth is that if you are truly vulnerable, you truly allow yourself to go into those places where you feel fear and you confront that fear in a very short period of time, you're going to overcome that fear and you're no longer going to be vulnerable. Vulnerability doesn't last if, if you are willing to stay in it for long enough. And so the, the, for anybody that is wanting to experience a whole free heart, there's 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 no there's no run around here there's no hack on this courage is our greatest our greatest asset and we just need to summons our courage surround yourself with people that really care and and just go for it open yourself up and you know we're immensely powerful beings and we we have the ability to withstand all kinds of you know unsavory stimulation from the world. Um, and we just need to kind of allow ourselves to, 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 to have the opportunity to, to experience that so that we can learn that we do have power. You've just got to take the dive. You've got to take the leap. And there's, there's no other easy way of doing that. And, you know, listening to your podcast and reading books and, and things like that is really good because it just massages those tense muscles that keep you tightly gripped on, on, on your defensiveness. The more you massage these muscles, the more you just naturally let go and and move into that vulnerability. It's an incremental process and it is a practice. It's absolutely a practice. That's, that's really key to understand. Mm, Definitely. And what about those people who have experienced extreme adversity in their life? You know, I was chatting Mm. to a girl the other day who you know, lost her mum in in four days. She was diagnosed with cancer, her mum, and four days later she was gone. It was a very aggressive. Wow. Very, very, yeah, like in four days gone. And then a few years later her father died and then a few Mm. years later her brother died. Like it's just you couldn't, you know, the stuff that she has been through, you couldn't write it. It's just mind-blowing. So, for someone who has experienced such heartache and such struggle and adversity, where do they start? They start in the present moment because that's all there is. And the, the biggest thing that we need to keep reminding ourselves is that, you know, life is full of unexpected experiences that are here to, to enable us to grow. This is the truth. You know, we have a choice of perspective um, when it comes to processing our experiences. We can choose to see it as something that happened against us or for us. And the truth is that the universe is in a perpetual state of evolution. It's constantly growing. It's its nature. It's, 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 not, it's not punishing itself. It's evolving on itself. And so it makes the most sense to, to view every experience that we have in our life through the perspective of evolution, 
that everything that happens to us is an impetus for growth and that we're not going backwards. We're not losing anything. We're only gaining something. And now that's hard, a hard thing to embrace for someone who's just lost their mother, particularly in such a short period of time, or a brother, or anyone for that matter, over any period of time. However, the, 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 the truth is that we live and we, and we pass. It's inevitable. And some pass earlier than others. And it's, 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 a, it's a fact of life. And if we are able to embrace the experience that, that we are having with the, the choice to see an evolutionary perspective, then we're 80% of the way there in terms of healing and, and actually recovering from the experience. The, the other 20% is made up of infrastructure, creating infrastructure around you. That is a support system where you are able to grieve without condition just go through the experience of feeling that feeling of loss that's just so intense and grieving for as long as you need to and having the support that you need around you to allow that process to happen whilst being reminded that you are immensely powerful and that you will recover. You know, not falling into pity for somebody. Having pity for somebody is one of the most disempowering things. Surrounding yourself with people that see your power and know that you will get through it and are willing to sit there and hold you through your grief and mourning. And at the time when the light starts to, to break through and you start to start, feel the relief from the, from the pain of loss, to have people there that are like, okay, the light's out, the light's starting to shine through, let's open these curtains, out you get, let's get outside, let's go and have a dance, let's go out for a good dinner, whatever, you know, get you back into life. You want to surround yourself with people that are going to encourage you to take that big step out of that, that heaviness, that darkness that we can feel back into the light when it's time. And um, so that, that, having that infrastructure around you, that support network, the community, the love, that's, that's really, really important. Yeah. And then the rest is time. The rest is just time. You know, wounding it, it, wounding, it takes time to heal. It's like anything. Everything is a process in this world. And if we can be patient and see, see the value and the power and the process of our healing, then we learn so much from that as well. There's so much wisdom in that. Mm, exactly. It's like a, any wound, you know, a physical wound on your body. You know, the other day I scratched my hand and, you know, it's taken a couple of weeks to fully heal. And I, I've actually almost enjoyed watching it heal and go through the different phases and it's changed shape and color. And I've been fascinated by it, but yet when it's a a wound on our heart, it's almost like, hurry up and get over it. And, and we don't look at our scars on our hands and go, hurry up and heal, hurry up and heal, you know, get over it. But we, <laughs> we kind of do that with our heart, you know? Mm, such a great point you make. Yeah. And, um, you know, the, it's because the wounds in our heart hurt a lot more than a wound on a hand. You know, the sting, it, we're reminded of it in every moment. It's there. It's a constant, ah, you know. And, um, but you, what, what you say is so true. And, 
you know, applying that, that, that principle of healing that I, that I spoke about before is essential, even in the smallest little things, learning to be with ourselves, learning, learning to fully feel what we feel and, and allowing ourselves to, to heal through that process. The only way that we heal is through feeling. I love that old adage, you know, you've got to feel it to heal it. There, there's no way around this. The only way that we can allow our wounds to, to recover is with the, the antiseptic of tenderness and, and compassion and feeling and acceptance of what it is we're experiencing. We need to dress our wounds with our own compassion, our own loving attention, without self-deprecation and loathing and anger and frustration and resentment and blame and all of these things that we adopt in defense of our wounding. We have to learn to let go of all of that and apply the, the, the gauze of love so that the, the wound can heal quick. Mm, wow, so beautiful. I, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, I wanted to kind of shift gears a tiny bit because I really know you're passionate about this topic. And obviously meditation is such a huge vehicle for you. I would love to know, you know, why has it been so powerful for you and why are so many people, so many celebrities, so many um, huge, you know, advocates doing this now, this transcendent style of meditation? And how does it differ from a more monastic Buddhism breath style meditation? So there's a couple of questions in there. Mm-hmm. Let's start with how has it been so beneficial and why has it so, been so powerful for you to, um, you know, really remind yourself of your truest, deepest nature? Mm. So. Um... The why was informed by experience. Um, I, I actually was spontaneously meditating um, since I was a kid as a means of dealing with um, some anxiety that I had growing up. And I found in the evenings I discovered a, a way quite intuitively actually of sort of sinking deeper past these surface level feelings that were keeping my whole body agitated and I wasn't able to fall asleep to sink past them and, and cause a a sort of a calmness to emerge and for the fatigue of my body to rise and to easily fall asleep. And, um, at the time I hadn't, it certainly wasn't called meditation. It wasn't called anything. I thought it was just something that everybody did. You know, it wasn't, wasn't really conceptualized in any real way. But um, <clears throat> as, I, as I grew older, that process became more sophisticated. And in my late teens, I started doing it to, to sort of offset some pressure that I felt in my heart and my forehead. It was something that wanted to be expressed out of me that, I, that was very abstract and I, I couldn't access it. It was like an itch that couldn't be scratched. And if I, if I sat very still and very calm and allowed my whole system to settle down, I would experience a relief um, uh, in my heart and in my, in my forehead um, that ultimately, you know, informed me of the, the value of sitting still and de-exciting our whole system and, and allowing our, our body's natural healing intelligence to be activated in that state. Um, and so, uh, if through, through my twenties, I, I learned lots of, lots of different techniques and processes, um, and explored all the different traditions and, and their perspectives on meditation and, and what they do and why they're practiced. 
um, what the outcome is for each of these different practices. And it's all very fascinating. And I, I hold a, a, a very deep reverence and respect for all the different traditions and practices and, and the reasons why they do it. Um, uh, the technique that I teach personally, uh, the one that, that has been the most effective for me has been um, Vedic meditation, uh, which is a, an automatic tra- transcending technique. And automa- automatic transcending means um, a, a, a process by which the mind very naturally and spontaneously moves into a more expanded, de excited state of awareness, um, which then gives rise to <clears throat> what is, <clears throat> excuse me, what is referred to as the relaxation response. The relaxation response is just a very deep, restful state where the body can move into a natural state of rest and repair, recovery. Um, when, when we're, uh, you know, living in the world under enormous strain to, to meet the demands of life, uh, there's an enormous amount of wear and tear on our system and we accumulate stress and fatigue and it obstructs our capacity to detect our nature, our spiritual essence. It, it becomes overshadowed by an agitation that then leads into, um, a, you know, a highly reactive state, which we talked about, a fear-based state. And uh, we refer to this as the fight-or-flight state and, and a heightened state of stress. And this, this particular technique was so profoundly effective in removing stress from the system and revitalizing me. I was just... <laughs> it was brilliant. And, and what I found is I was taking enormous leaps and bounds in my own um, expansion of my own awareness of myself because I, I had enough vitality in the system. My mind wasn't preoccupied with defensiveness of, of, you know, through the fight or flight state. It was, it was capable of just quietly staying with the experience I was having. I was able to more meaningfully interact with myself and, and, and overcome all of these things that were inhibiting me from just being in the moment, ideas and beliefs about the way the world was, what I thought I should be feeling threatened by and all of this kind of stuff. And when I was able to make a distinction between an imminent threat and an imagined threat, I was able to very quickly, you know, really evolve and, and, and let go of a lot of stuff that just wasn't relevant. And as a result, gain greater access to the present moment and feel greater fulfillment. And so having had the experience through practicing this particular technique, I, I just saw it as such an extraordinary thing to be able to give to the world. So I, I became a teacher in it and, um, and of, you know, I'm very passionate about the subject and, and about the practice and about teaching it. And I think it's as vital as, you know, drinking water or um, breathing oxygen or eating food, we, we've got to meditate. Yeah, I couldn't agree <laughs> Otherwise, more. it's uh, making, making sense of our condition, our lives and our world is very difficult. Mm, I know. And meditation, yeah, you're so right. It really, really helps. Um, you know, I practice the same form of meditation and it's changed my life. It really has. I used to mm. deal with, you know, anxiety as well and panic attacks and depression and just... I was really unhappy in my own skin. I didn't know why we were here. I didn't know what the point was. And I felt like the universe was against me. And since I really embodied, you know, the the teachings from 
meditation and, and really started to live it, everything slowly began to shift. And, you know, my husband, whom you know very, very well, we always say that it's just, that's the reason we got together. You know, it's the reason we were able to be in a space where we could call each other in, which is, you know, why we, we love this style of meditation so much and why we are such avid meditation um, people, because it just, it's changed both of our lives so much. Yeah. Yeah. And you and millions and millions and millions of other people around the world all attest to the same thing. And that's why I say it's as vital as, as drinking water. If, you know, if only the world knew <laughs> what it actually does. It's such a simple thing to do. It's not difficult. As you know, it's very easy, very gratifying, very relaxing. And it just, you know, it's a difference between, you know, a really great day and a really shitty day. I agree. Um, you know, meditating or not meditating. And, you know, I've, I've worked with people from all walks of life um, that, you know, it came because life was shitty <laughs> and they, they learned to meditate and it, it, it changed pretty quickly. Uh, but, you know, it's something that I really want to point out, you know, it's not so much meditation that's, that's the thing. Meditation is, is, a, is a device, a, a technology, if you like, to to cultivate the thing. The thing is our heart. The thing is our awareness, our attention, and our ability to connect with our intention to love. And what meditation does is enlivens that. But ultimately, the thing that is the thing is us. And there's in the meditation conversation, there's a, there's a huge amount of like, oh, meditation, meditation, meditation. It's a silver bullet. It's a silver bullet. And um, it, it's, it's so great because of what it does. Um, and I think it's, it's really, really important for people listening to this podcast that have kind of been a little bit like, ah, oh, meditation. If I read another blog on meditation or I, if I hear another podcast on meditation or whatever, um, you know, uh, for, at least from my perspective as a teacher, you know, what, medita what meditation is, why meditation is great is because of what meditation does. Meditation just as a thing, you know, sitting with your eyes closed for 20 minutes and having an experience with your eyes closed is not so much what it's about. It's a part of what it's about. But, you know, as you know, Melissa, you know, practicing this particular technique, we don't place a huge amount of emphasis on what happens with our eyes closed for 20 minutes. The emphasis is on what we experience when we open our eyes and, and step out into the world and start interacting with each other. That's the thing that's most important. And we're not meditating then. We're being then. We're living then. And so what meditation does is it enlivens our being and our ability to, to, to bring the fullness of our being into the world and the way that we, we live. Yeah, I'm getting so emotional because I just, it's, I just, I, I don't, whew, this has never happened before. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just so emotional because it's changed my life <laughs> so much. Mm, beautiful. And yeah. I, like, my wish is for everyone to experience 
experience their true nature, which is love, because that's your Mm. birthright. We didn't come here to suffer. Mm. We didn't. And meditation is that vehicle. You're right. It's not what happens when you sit your butt down. It's the integration out into your everyday life where the magic really starts to happen and flow. And mm. and you're right. It's just your your being. You're not reactive. You're being. So my wish is, you know, everyone to know that they're worthy of feeling that yeah they are uh, you know i want to take the conversation beyond worthiness because the concept of worthiness is only uh, only comes to light in the experience of unworthiness you know there are certain cultures uh, indigenous cultures in the world that don't have a word for love because it's not something that needs a concept it just it's it just is <laughs> and um they don't have a word for trust because there's no such thing as mistrust. Um, and so unworthiness is, well, worthiness is a, is a, is a concept that we've, we've had to formulate through the absence of feeling ourselves, feeling the truth of ourselves. But the, you know, for me, you know, and I understand why you say it, and it's by, by no means a, you know, a, 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 a criticism or anything in the use of the word, but I really want to elevate the conversation around this concept of, of worthiness. It's almost preposterous to think that we're unworthy. You're right. When, 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 you, when you actually awaken to the truth of yourself, it's, oh my God, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm, I'm so whole, complete, and beautiful. Mm. How, how is it that I ever came to believe that I was unworthy? You know, what a... What a what a, an acute state of dysfunction that w- that we are experiencing to to believe that we're unworthy. Now it's not to deny or ignore the fact that we do feel unworthy, but for anyone listening to this that has been doing this work for some time and you're battling with unworthiness, transcend it. It's 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 not an issue of whether you're worthy or unworthy. It's, it's not, you are, it's, it's in a, in, in, in your most natural established state of being, what you are is love and it's, you, you can't be without it. And the unworthiness is just the absence of that. The, the experience of unworthiness is just the absence of I've that. I've got full goosebumps all over my body at the moment. Um, or my friend <laughs> calls them God bumps, mm. which is really cute. She's like, God bumps. Um, so <laughs> I've got little God bumps all over me. Um, yeah, I couldn't agree more. I would love to shift gears a tiny bit now. This has just been so beautiful and I'm so grateful for all your love and knowledge and wisdom that you've shared with us so far, but I've got a couple of rapid fire questions that I would love for you to answer. Mm -hmm. So is there anything that you're working on or you would like to elevate within yourself at the moment that, yeah, you want to, you know, I don't want to use the word improve, but is there something that you're currently working on within yourself? Yeah, 
how to write a yeah. book. <laughs> <laughs> how to how to how to communicate um uh my my journey in a way that's relatable. It's like, oh, I can't tell you how challenging this process has been for me. <laughs> it really has because as, as I'm a, I'm a te- I, the way that I teach is orally. Um, I, don't, I don't teach generally through the written word and I was you know, p- presented with the challenge of writing a book to present this teaching to start a process of getting it out there. And in conveying a teaching um, orally, you know, right now I'm, I'm talking to you and you get a sense of who I am because of the tone of my voice and, you know, some of the contexts and stories that I'm telling, the language I use and, and all of that. There's a picture there that it makes it very easy for you to either relate to me or not, connect with me or not. When you're writing, as you know, there's a, you've really got to, like, put yourself into the words in a, in a way that is far more personal than I'm, I'm used to in terms of, you know, the way that I teach. I like to just give the knowledge um, and not talk about myself. Mm. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm, I'm confronted with that in, in, in writing this book um, because, you know, any, anyone's, anyone's story is very complex and it's very deep and it's very rich. And to, to feel like I'm doing justice to the, to the reader and to the knowledge by sharing snippets of my, my life um, is, is very difficult for me because I, I just, you know, identifying what, I, what is relevant or what, what, what people might find endearing <laughs> or relatable. It's something that I don't have a natural awareness around actually. Right. Um, which is which is which is surprising to me because mm. um, I thought I might have, <laughs> but I don't. But I think it's that whole thing of you know, you you can have a lot of insight about somebody else's situation, but when it comes to your own subjective story, it's 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 a real challenge. And so I'm I'm very fortunate to be surrounded by some really wonderful, um, loving, intelligent people um, who have really strong. Um, ideas about what what the world uh can relate to and they're helping me through that process but to be honest that's the thing that consumes me every day is is this challenge of 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 finding that balance in storytelling and giving knowledge it's uh yeah. Well, I can't, I'm, I'm sure you're doing an amazing job. I, I honestly can't wait to read it. Um, my next question is, let's pretend you have a magic wand and you could put one book in the school curriculum of every single high school around the world. Now, besides your book, which is a given, that's going to be mm. in every high school, what, what one book would you choose to go in the high school of every single high school around the world? Hmm. That's a great question. In its current form, like the way that it's written, like, yeah, I suppose that's what you're asking, yeah. isn't it? Because there's a lot of books that I'd love to see in the school curriculum if they were rewritten for teenagers, mm, mm. Um, you know, in terms of what the content the content is. You know, there's, there's just, you know, some really fundamental stuff that the kids need to learn, like, you know, Eckhart Tolle's The Power of Now. Um, Someone just gave me this book um, by Brené Brown, um, 
I'm, I'm not a huge reader myself, but I've, I've started reading her book. The, the, it's one of her latest ones. It's called um, The Gifts of Imperfection. Mm, that's brilliant. And my God, is she good. Oh. <laughs> so I'm, I'm getting off the topic here, but she is so yeah. good at doing what I'm, what I'm really struggling to yeah. do, which is to infuse my own story into the teaching. She is just brilliant. Yeah. yeah, really. And so, you know, all the stuff that's in her book is just brilliant and beautiful. Um, uh, yeah, I think the power of now is a really great one um, because it's a really simple teaching that really introduces you to the concept of um, the importance of present moment awareness and um, how easily uh, we we become habituated into the realm of thinking as as the belief of the way life is um, and. If we can teach kids to to learn how to be present and to recognize the power of their own being um, as a starting point, as the foundation or the building block for for them becoming whole human beings in the world, then I think we're doing the world a great service. Mm, couldn't agree more. And that's one of you know my favorite books, one of the first books I picked up. So, mm. uh, and we'll put all of the links to everything that Johnny and I have mentioned so far in the show notes. So you don't have to worry about writing it down. Mm. Um, let's talk about how your day looks. I am. I love morning routines. I'm fascinated by other people's morning routines. Yeah. Can you give us a little snapshot uh, into your? your morning routine and what you do to prime yourself for the day. Yeah, sure. Well, it really depends on where I am in the world. I mean, I'm, I'm in currently in India. I'm staying in a really beautiful place right on the bank of the banks of the Ganga river at the foothills of the Himalayas. It's absolutely stunning. And so I have the good fortune of greeting the sun rising up over the mountains in the morning, illuminating the jade green, um, flowing Ganga River. And so I, I take a, a dunk in the Ganga. I do a little, a little morning ritual of um, sort of devotion and gratitude to, to nature, uh, which we call a puja. And then I'll come upstairs and uh, do a little bit of bendy stretchy you could call it yoga asana. I'm sure a yoga teacher would look at it and go, nah, that ain't yoga. <laughs> that definitely isn't yoga. <laughs> yeah. It's a little Johnny hybrid deal. Uh, and then I'll meditate. And uh, uh, I, some, sometimes I'll, I'll have a, a glass of warm turmeric. I'll, obviously, I'll scrape my tongue and brush my teeth. Scraping your tongue is so important in the morning. Really, really important. Um, you see all the funk that comes off your tongue. It's like, my goodness, but your tongue is actually an organ that draws out toxins and, and um, uh, it stores it on the surface for you to scrape it off every day. And when you scrape it off, what you're doing is you're just really purifying the system. So that's, that's a really important one. Um, so I'll meditate and then after meditation I'll have breakfast and because I'm um, – uh, in India, I'll make some calls to the States or whoever it is that I'm working with. And then I get stuck into the day. Oh, so the other thing that I'm doing now, because it's starting to come into winter and the mountain air is very dry. So, uh, you can do this seasonally, but I, I tend to do it all year round. Um, cause I do a thing called Abhyanga, which is a self massage in the winter. I use, uh, sesame oil, which is warm. 
and I just lather my whole body with a rigorous self-massage before I have a shower. I'll leave the oil on me for about five minutes. And that just totally nourishes my skin and my whole system. And I do this uh, before I meditate. In the summer, I use coconut oil. Yeah, that sounds good. We do that as well. And we do the tongue scraping as well. It's, yeah, it's amazing. Mm. Um, I'd love to know what are three things you're most recently grateful for? Well, most recently would be now. So I'm most, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm most grateful for the opportunity to, to be invited onto your show and to be able to, to, to share what I've been working on and to have this conversation with you. Um, that's first. Um, the second would be, um, that I woke up this morning, um, to an email from the guy I'm working with who gave me a very, very honest response to my notes that was both encouraging and challenging. And I was really, I'm just really grateful for him because he's just doing such a great job, you know, assisting me through this process. So I'm, I'm grateful to him. And I guess a bigger picture gratefulness would be, you know, to have the luxury to come to India for, for three and a half months and sit in such a sacred place and write, just immerse myself in writing about something that's just so important and beautiful. I mean, how lucky am I? <laughs> how much longer are you there for? Well, <laughs> I'm here for another two weeks. I'd set myself a three and a half month deadline to write the book. And, um, I've probably written the book twice and last Friday I started writing it again from scratch. Um, so, um, I've probably got another two months to go, but I mean, I'm really clear on what the book needs to be now. As you probably know, you, you, you write, you do versions and versions. And, um, so I've, I'm hoping that I'll have the the final draft ready by um, the end of January next year. Yay. Wow. I can't wait to read it, babe. I'm really excited. And just Mm. three more quick fire questions. What is one thing that people can do today for their health? One, One thing that they could start to do? Sit in their heart and ask themselves how they're feeling. Beautiful. Okay. What is one thing that people can do for their wealth, which is, you know, their their, their mission in the world and their, what they do and how they express themselves in the world. Share freely what they know with people that really, really, really need it. Beautiful. And the last question, what is one of the most important things we can do for love? Love. Yay. <laughs> love yourself. Love it. Oh, my goodness. Well, yeah. I just wanted to say thank you so much for – tuning in all the way from um India I'm so honored that you've taken some time out of your writing schedule to chat with us I am so grateful to have you in my life to have you as a very very dear friend of mine and Nick's we both love you so much and love having you in our lives and mm. thank you for the work that you do and just for being, you are such a beautiful presence to be around. You're a beautiful example of love. And I am so grateful that I get to call you one of my close friends. Mm. Well, the feeling's entirely mutual, Melissa. So thank you for sharing that. It's really sweet. I, I feel the same way. And I think what you're doing is so great. And, um, I hope that what I've shared today is of some value to everyone that listens to your show. Oh my 
goodness, wasn't that freaking incredible. I feel so inspired and I still have goosebumps or should I say God bumps all over my body. What a beautiful human being. That whole interview felt like a meditation for me. I had my eyes closed for a majority of it, just soaking up his wisdom and feeling the space that he was coming from, like really hit me straight in the heart. So I can't wait to get his book to devour more wisdom from this beautiful man. I love the point he made on worthiness and vulnerability being the gateway to our liberation. I'm definitely going to try and be more vulnerable from now on and maybe that's something that you can try too. So if you loved this interview as much as I did, please, please subscribe and leave me a five-star review because that means we can inspire even more people. And please share this interview with your soul sisters, with your soul brothers. Get it out there because I feel like everyone needs to hear this interview. And don't forget to tell me on Twitter who you would like me to interview and make sure you tag me. My tag is at Mel underscore Ambrosini and tag the person you want me to interview using the hashtag the Melissa Ambrosini show. So you tag me, you tag them and use the hashtag. For everything we mentioned in the podcast, go and check out the show notes. It's www.melissaambrosini.com forward slash six, and you can get everything that we have mentioned in the show today. So thank you so much for being here, for wanting to be the best version of you, for taking the time out for yourself to grow and evolve. I really, really love people that honor themselves and want to grow and want to be the best version of themselves. So thank you for showing up for you today. You seriously rock. So if there's someone in your life that you can think of would really benefit from this episode, please share it with them right now. And until next time, don't forget that strong is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. I love you so much. Until next time.